everybody, we're going to, this is going to be a session of many, of intrigue, I think. It's going to have everything that a good radio story should have, which is to say, good characters, everyone, good plot, and just enough tension to keep things interesting. So, not to make anybody nervous, but uh, we're very happy to be here. Uh, AIR is the sponsor of this uh, particular workshop. AIR is the Association for Independence in Radio, celebrating 20 years this year. If you are not a member of AIR, uh, this week, uh, this conference time is a good time to think about joining. Uh, there's a discount for you, 10% discount as a Third Coast attendee, and there are people here from AIR who can talk to you about tremendous benefits to joining AIR. You become a part of a community, you get a tremendous amount of resources, which include the AIR access to the AIR website, which has a member directory. There's a daily listserv, which is totally indispensable for independent producers. Um, just this week, for example, you could learn about whether or not to get a visa as a journalist or a tourist if you're traveling to India, and what are the advantages to uh, Pro Tools 8 and whether or not you have to get a new operating system. So the questions run the gamut and they're there for you. It's like an instantaneous co-worker family. Uh, so AIR is very much worth your while to join. Um, before we go much farther, I want to introduce Sue Shart, who's the executive producer of AIR and AIR executive director of AIR. Uh, right here in front, and Aaron Mishkin, who may or may not be around, who's the membership director of AIR. So either one of them can answer all of your questions and more about uh, AIR membership. Okay, this is a pitch panel. What does that mean? A pitch, we all know what a pitch is, but let's say it out loud. It's your effort to sell your story to a program. You are... Um, we all need to learn how to pitch. We know how to, need to know how to do it very, very well. It's a hard skill, um, and many of us learn it slowly. Um, we have to form a relationship with an editor. We have to understand our story very well. We have to understand their program very well. So what we've done here in order to help all of us learn to be better pitchers is to more or less pull the curtain back on the pitching process. So what you're going to hear here are actual producers uh, who have submitted a pitch. They're going to come up to the front of the room and sit next to the person that they're pitching to, give their pitch, get their feedback. It'll be rather quick and snappy, so we won't dwell for a long time. Um, they'll get a total of 10 minutes. After each panelist has taken all of their pitches, we're going to have a brief time for questions from the audience for that particular producer. So uh, more announcements at the end, um, but let's get going. And the first thing we're going to do is hear briefly from each of our panelists, uh, tell you a little bit about their program, which you should know about a little bit, but they're going to tell you more and what their role is in that program. So we'll start with first uh, Davian Nelson and Nikki Silva, who are also the Kitchen Sisters. Uh, good morning. Great to be here. We are launching a new series that's going to go on Morning Edition and All Things Considered and God knows what other mediums. And it's about the secret lives of girls around the world girls and the women they become, coming of age, 
uh, rites and rituals of passage. We say women who crossed a line, broke a path, cut a trail, stuck their neck out. So that's what we're looking for stories for. We don't have all our funding yet, so it's not like we're in full bloom, but what the hell? And I think one of the things that distinguishes what we're looking for is that these stories are embedded into the news shows, and we want them to have a real um, sound and a sort of sound-rich presence so you know what you're hearing you know, is special and, and distinctive when, when it comes on the air. It'll probably have a sonic signature that sets it apart from some of the other things that are happening, so it's not a report, it's not hard news in that way. So... And then the one other thing is the project will live online kind of in equal measure to its radio presence. So we'll be looking for, let's say there's not a radio story, but there's something smaller or some piece of ephemera or some phone uh, ringtone or iPod playlist. Or There's a lot of different ways this project's going to appear and manifest. So there's lots of different ideas that we're looking for. And we're looking for a title for the series most of all, so pitch us a title for the series. That's what we really want. And next is Bob Boylan from NPR Music. Hi. Uh, so I work mainly with All Songs Considered, a show I started about eight years ago while I was in the times I was directing All Things Considered. Um, all Songs Considered is a weekly show trying to help people fall in love with music every week, at least something. And, uh, and we do that by going through the stacks and stacks of CDs and just blindfoldly listening to music and finding something, uh, finding something great. But we also try to do uh, things like have, DJ, have musicians come on our show and be the DJ, so picking things that they fell in love with that, and you can see clearly, you don't even have to ask them, you can see clearly the things that they fell in love with musically and how it influenced them. Uh, I started something called, about a year ago called Project Song, where we take musicians in the studio, we lay six photographs on the table, six words on the table, and they have to pick a word, they have to pick a uh, picture, and then they have two days to write a song about uh, that, and we've videotaped that whole project, and it's, another, it's a way to peek into that creative process. We, everybody loves music, and it's a mystery, no matter how much you listen to it, how it happens, and Project Songs tries to, um, tries to unfold that mystery a bit, and then I work generally with uh, NPR Music, which is just a, a big discovery site where we have 13, 14 partner stations giving us uh, material, content, as people call it, uh, and putting it on the site, great music stuff. And finally, Jane Feltis from This American Life. Hi. Um, I'm a producer at This American Life and also the music supervisor on the television show. And I've been there for... I, in different capacities about six years now. Um, this American Life, if you haven't heard of it, is um, an hour-long documentary nonfiction radio show. It's on the, week, on the show, um, or on the radio once a week. Um, although we only produce it every two weeks. So we do about 25-ish shows a year. Um, so not a whole ton of opportunities to get on the radio. So it's, it's the, you know, the pitch. I hope that I can help people... Um, perfect their pitch today because um, it can be kind of tough to get on. Um, as Ira says, every week um, we 
do a theme and bring you a variety of different stories on that theme. Um, and that means sometimes we'll have a reported piece, sometimes we'll have a, a written essay from someone. We occasionally run fiction. Um, occasionally Ira just sits in a studio and interviews somebody. But uh, we're always looking for a strong narrative, interesting characters, um, something surprising in the, in the, in the story. And uh, um, yeah, that's about it. Good, so we've met everybody now. We're going to take our first picture. The way this is going to work is the picture will come up to the front of the room and sit in the chair at the end of the table, and the person they're pitching to will move down and sit next to them, so it's a little more friendly setup. And um, our first picture is um, going to be to Bob Boylan, so Bob will move over, and her name is Julie Bruins. Yay! Um, while Julie's coming up, I'm going to tell you, uh, Julie is an elementary school teacher, and she's been a volunteer at KALX in Berkeley for two years. During that time in Berkeley, she's been producing a program, and that program is uh, part of, forms part of the pitch that she's going to make to Bob today. So Julie and Bob, you have 10 minutes. <laughs> Well, it's very nice to meet you, and uh, thank you for sitting down with me. And my program is called Alternate Tunings, and I'm going to read a bit about it. It's a 30-minute uh, program exploring the world of unique and unusual instruments, and in a, we put it in a fun and what I, what I like to call an edutational format. In fact, um, I've been producing it, as she said, for a few years, and while I'm not at my real job as an elementary school music teacher. So uh, musical instruments are complex and regulated by acoustical principles uh, most people don't understand. Still, they're an essential part of the listening experience. Uh, how else do you describe your favorite band by saying what instruments are in it. Uh, artists today are using an increasingly and ever broader scope of devices to make their sounds, and alternate tunings listeners will uh, get an in-depth look into what instruments are created, those unique sounds, um, from Octopus Project's uh, Theremin and uh, the Zither used on the latest Ratatat album. Yes. Uh, each episode takes the listener through a brief history of the instrument, explains how it works, features a conversation with a builder or a performer, and uh, provides examples in a number of genres. We really try to um, spread that out and that you know are from past and today. Uh, the show's producer and host, myself, uh, I'm pretty accustomed to short attention spans. And <laughs> I'm pretty good at explaining the trickier aspects or the potentially drier and more um, esoteric aspects of either instrument technology or their history. Um, listeners have, um, I've had a lot of good feedback. They've said it's always interesting, clever, and well put together. And uh, producers have said I've done, made an excellent job of using sound. And while I believe it would do best in its current 30-minute or occasionally 60-minute format and as a weekly music series of 8 to 12 episodes, I also believe it has potential as a sort of supplemental addition to the um, program All Songs Considered. And uh, in that form, each episode would take its cue from newly, newly released music featured on the program and could run as a 5-minute, 10-minute uh, brief overview of the instrument and um, either broadcast or podcast. While I have independently produced seven full episodes, only four 30-minute shows um, currently exist in a finished form and are fairly current. 
Completing another four to eight would require about six months, I believe. And shorter supplemental features, I believe, could be finished in one to two weeks each. Additionally, a fully interactive uh, web component uh, could include photos, interview transcripts or clips, uh, interactive musical instruments, and uh, opportunities for people to share about unique instruments in their community. And it would greatly enhance their project, but also would require extra web production skills that I do not have. So, um, and I also have a brief audio clip if... um, Okay. And I have a promo that um, I think although it's a promo, kind of gives you a sense of the whole show. So, what is a drum machine? A drum machine is a little box full of wires that makes drum noises. Like sassy answers? Tune in this Wednesday at 9 a.m. for Little Lip and a lot of blips, as Alternate Tunings dedicates a special one-hour episode to the Roland TR-808 and the history of drum machines. You'll hear some good music, some bad music, and a very special guest. Hello everybody out there, I'm I'm the Egyptian lover. That's Alternate Tunings, this Wednesday at 9 in the morning on 90.7 FM, KALX, Berkeley. I said the TR-808 is coming, coming, <laughs> right to early in the morning. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, that's, uh, that's my pitch, and I understand we're still have some questions. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to first make the very first suggestion, which is um, I'm going to do this just for mm-hmm. one second. I'm sorry. I'm taking your notes. Fair. I'm turning upside down. And I want you to go over there for a second and come have a seat at the table, and I want you to tell me about your show. Just You don't have to go through the whole spiel, but hey, I'm Bob. <laughs> I'm Julie, and it's nice to meet you, and that was awkward for me too, but they yeah. said you can read it, and I yeah. figured I put in so, preparation. But so the first Bob. thing I would do is I'd drop that because you know your stuff inside out. And I do. if you and I have eye contact and conversation, um, I'm going to be a lot happier. I'm going to remember it. The, the long um, list of stuff is important after I love the idea. Okay. You know, that's the detail stuff I don't care about now. Right now I want to fall in love with your idea. Okay. Well, I will say I've listened to your show a number of times, and I do think it m- helps me fall in love with music. I love all the new music I learn on it. And as a music teacher, I think and I'm, I'm, my goal is to help people do the same thing and fall in love with music. And I think that one aspect that is greatly underserved is uh, l- exploring the instruments that besides guitar, piano, and drums and violin, people people pretty much don't know what they're listening to. So how would you do that? I look at the every every instrument has a unique history and there there is where where it came from, how it works, and people seem to be very interested in how to do that. So what I I do is I give I usually start out with a really fun example. Um, so you get to listen to music. And an example that will feature in the instrument usually a solo or it's the drum machine there weren't too many solos but um there were some and you get to hear it so um kind of an opening hooker kind of (laughs) not a hooker Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
That's, that's one kind of pitch. I, I, uh, <laughs> hook, line, if and If we could singer. get that drum machine to do the... <laughs> and um, I do, speaking of which, use, I believe I use a sense of humor a lot, um, because you can definitely get bored with the technicalities of the acoustics yeah. and... You know, people aren't interested in... And I think in the language of the pitch, there was much, much too much of that, you know? Okay. And so one of the things that um, when people bring an idea to the table is the first thing I try to think about, and this was with when people pitch me ideas for All Things Considered and and as well as All Songs, which is that um, understand the show really well. I mean, people listen to All Things Considered and they'd come up with an idea and they'd say, I'd love to do this 30-minute piece. And you'd just say... You know, we're just not going to run a 30-minute piece, but that's, a, that's sort of the obvious. I mean, that should have been obvious before the pitch for, uh, for anything. So listen to the show that you're going to pitch for and think of the way that it will work on your show. And so what I loved about what you said uh, was that, uh, you know, that Ratatat song that has the zither in it. I thought, great. You know, one thing we could do is perhaps do when there's a current new song that's popular, is figure out what is, people know this thing, they've heard this thing, now tell me something new about it. And you'd walk away with something different. You'd walk away with an understanding. Um, and so I think it's important to really get, a, to get a, a hold of how you fit into the whole. Because we all have our passions and we all would love people to listen to you know, a 90 minute piece on something that you're passionate about, but you have to bring it to the table and find the context for it. And if you look at the NPR music site, do you have any thoughts about how it would fit into that site? Essentially, in, in a basic way you said it, you know, say the Ratatat album comes out, there's a zither, there's a number of odd musical instruments on it. Click on this, do you, you know, find what is the zither, where does it come from, how, do, how did they get to use it? One minute left. Oh. Okay. okay. How did they come to use it? Um, when a new album comes out, I know um, there's a, n- a the gentleman from Neutral Milk Hotel is coming out with a music. He's a saw player. Is right, right. you know have the, the Christmas um, saw record. Yes. yes, yes. And it's coming out for Christmas. You know, have it think and maybe favorite songs. And, and then uh, think about uh, do you have ideas? And it's not your skill set to do web design, mm-hmm. but you've looked at enough web, mm-hmm. so you don't have to have the technicality of how you're going to do it, but Present to me the idea of how it then comes to life in podcast form, mm-hmm. on the web, you know, all those sorts of things, like how do people listen to it? And Because and, there's really good nuggets of ideas here. Uh, but for us, the 30-minute treatment, and you mm-hmm. said, you know, it's not, doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but getting even closer to the, to the notion of, of where it fits is the best part of the pitch. Okay. And, and then coming in with your passion, not the paper, would be, would be great, too. Okay. Thank you so great. much. Yeah, thank, thank you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you, too. I like the idea. We should talk some more. Can you pass me my water? Our next pitcher is uh, also for Bob, and her name is Catherine Girardo, also from the Bay Area. Can I just say... For me, to get to pitch to someone who frames their show as we want to make people fall in love with music, that word love is so powerful, and you know this is an open person, so... Thank you. so sweet. Right there, you know that's the show you want to be on. He's all about love. 
I think we have a mutual uh, friend. Let me tell you a little bit about Definitely. Julie yeah. before you start. Ju uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Catherine. Uh, she's with a company called Earprint Productions, a writer, editor, voiceover director, independent producer. She's been the producer of a program on KPFA in Berkeley called Earprints on the Ear. Her work is <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, Earprints on the Air. That's better. Yes. Uh, her work has been featured in many museums, in newspapers, and many radio programs in the United States and abroad. So thank you. Go ahead. Hi Bob. Hello there. Really nice to meet, you. to meet you. I know you've we do have a mutual friend, Doug Quinn, yeah, and um, Doug Quinn's work is one of the inspirations for the series that I would like to pitch to All Songs Considered. I looked around the website and saw that there really isn't a niche for environmental soundscapes and musical soundscapes, which may be a stretch for people who are you know, looking for music, but to me, I think it's, it's a stretch that's worth taking people into. Um, the series I'm proposing is called Field Notes, and the idea is to help people fall in love with sound and musical sound. Um, so the, it would have two components. One is the web series, which would be um, the work of sound artists who are creating soundscapes and portraits of places um, with sound. People like Doug Quinn who does incredible nature recordings and also creates musical compositions from them. Too. Yeah, yeah, he's a really fine recordist and composer. Uh, people like Michael Rusenberg and Hans Ulrich Werner who are German producers who create sound portraits of cities like uh, Lisbon, Rome. Um, they're they're ephemeral and uh, it's kind of got an armchair travel component. Then the other component that would be um, perhaps more appropriate for radio than these extended long soundscapes would be field notes interviews. And these, the idea of this would be an interview with each sound artist, recordist um, in the context of a sound walk. So going on a walk with this person and having them tell you what they're hearing and share their process of what they're listening to as they're walking through places, maybe a little bit about their recording process, uh, not so much technically, but just what are they hearing and then how do they take sounds of the world and create music from them. Great. Can you um, have any idea how, uh, how this works when people come to a website what do you imagine? What I imagine they'd, uh, they'd be able to see is um, perhaps video clips of the artists uh, working in the field, photographs of the artists in the field. I mean, Doug Quinn, for example, has gone to Antarctica and done a lot of recording. A lot of these people seek out kind of remote, unusual places mm -hmm. and are, you know, you could have visual, visual elements of them that would bring you closer to to seeing what those places look like, accompanied by recordings, their recordings, so you would hear also what the place sounds like. And then, um, you know, you could have text, obviously, talking about the artist and their work, um, and ways to listen, to click around and maybe listen to different recordings of different places that would be tied to the visuals. Now, you're obviously, look, I, I have a, a, a great passion for sound recordings. How I wound up at NPR was because I did a piece called 
Quiz Bang, the History of Sound, which was done with sampling. It was done in 83, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lover of sound. But when I started coming to All Things Considered and I tried to pitch ideas about, you know, this sound, well, I got dug on the air a couple of times, but when I right. started to pitch those ideas, you get this glaze. Too esoteric. And we just fall yeah. off. Yeah. And, and I think we need to figure out and help me figure out a way, maybe you have this way, of of drawing people in mm -hmm. to this because there's something uh, about the why should I care I notion of, of this I, of this. Now I love this stuff, but it's hard to get people to just come to it. To you know, like I don't even see the how like how it, it it's connected to the music show, for example. You, you say I can see it. I know it's a stretch. But it's a stretch worthwhile. But when I look at the web page and I think about all the things we've done, I, I'm not sure how I make that transition and how I bring people in as a, for example, if it was on our show, if, it was on, if, if I was hosting the show mm -hmm. and, and Doug Quinn was going to come on the show, how do I make the transition from what the show does normally, all songs considered does normally, bringing people into music and how does... How does it happen? Why does Doug come on the show? Where's his, where does it fit? Mm -hmm. um, I think this is, the, this is the same thing that we had uh, with, with the last pitch, too, which is it's so important to really just say, you know, you know, what's really missing on your site is this, and here's how it's going to work. It's going to be, and, and, and saying that you have a, you, you can put on the website, you can put pictures, you can put sound, you can click around. To, to people who work in web, well, you know, well, sure, you do that, but if you can make it even more, uh, more specific, you know, like um, we could do, a, we could do a, a sound every day, and for one minute, you know, somebody will come and they, they, will, they can download a podcast of one sound every day, and uh, I'm, I'm making this stuff mm -hmm. up, but, but something that, that, that will help that has some sort of a hook to it. I know it sounds really so lame to say that you have to do that, but you have to do that. You have to, it's plain and simple. No matter how great the idea is, when I produce pieces for All Things Considered and do stuff for All Songs Considered, the first thing I say is, um, I'm going to make the assumption that people are not going to like it, you know? And they're not, certainly not going to like it as much as I do. And then what is it about this that they're going to like? How do I get those people who are not going to care at all about this stuff and bring them in? And so saying I'll have some pictures and, have and, and some sounds, and that's going to draw them in, that's not going to be enough. Now, if you brought to me a picture of Doug um, putting his hydrophones down uh, underneath uh, the water, and I heard that, and I heard Doug's music that he does with it, because I know what he does, I'd say, whoa, this stuff's great, even if I'd never heard Doug before. That, that's so, the idea. So, yeah. yeah, so I think one of the things about these sorts of pitches is knock me out with some sound mm -hmm. and then help me understand how we bring it to the table for everybody else. Mm -hmm. that, Got it, yeah. yeah. I mean, I do have an idea along those lines. Yeah. Do you want it? I mean, uh, yeah, you bet. Well, a thing that we did uh, when I was doing the Soundscape series on KPFA was uh, a series called Guess, the, Guess That Sound. And we would play these really unusual yeah. sounds. People would call in. I mean, obviously, people aren't going to be calling into the website, but they could either just think about it the way you do with the on the world the um, mm -hmm. geo quiz, and then 
that sound would be put into the context of this person's music, so that you would have this really weird sound, which would draw the ear, get their interest, and then hear how it, how is this music? I why does this, why would you hear this yeah. on all the songs considered? Right. And, I, and I think that's a way to draw in the, 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 the people who couldn't care, because, you know, everybody likes to play guessing games and, you know, that kind of, and they see an, a, a, a quiz or a whatever, and it, it just draws them in, and then you hook them. You know, then you hook them with something amazing they never would have thought would happen. I, I like that part of the idea. Yeah. Where are we on time? You have two more minutes. No, you have two minutes if you want. Um, well, uh, could you see this at all? Fitting into All Songs Considered? Or do you think I'm pitching it to the wrong show? <laughs> well, I know that there are some musicians who do like really interesting music. The clarinetist who does music with... You David know, Rothenberg. Da David, yeah. Um, it's not something I do a lot, but it's not something I would say, let's not do, you know? Mm -hmm. And But the, the, the idea of, of some mystery sound that pops up on, on the website could be interesting. I'm, I'm not... I haven't figured out in the in the eight minutes we spent together yet how it works, but I I think there's there should be a place for it. I just don't know what it is yet, and maybe I need to listen to some of the sounds. Maybe I need to see some of the pictures. Maybe I need to and just think about it more. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we should carry on another conversation and try and maybe try to figure out for you what would help me to bring to the table is to look at the website and think about what would be. Uh, what would work on the website? That would be the, the one thing, and you don't have to do it this week or next mm -hmm. week, but that would be something, because that's where it's going to live. Right, you know? exactly. If you're pitching to NPR Music, it's going to live on a website. Yeah. Um, it could have a component that's, you know, that would be nice. You know, Art Silverman does these uh, sound clips, you know, about those on, on, on all things considered. Uh, and if it has a radio place, a radio home, then the hook on the web is so much easier because... Well, then I had thought of, the, I had thought of, you know, Weekend Edition Sunday for these interviews. Mm -hmm. um, and why actually them? tying I, those, excuse me? Why them in particular? Just, Just because I couldn't find another home for it. I mean, it's uh -huh. kind of a radio yeah. expeditions type mm -hmm. thing where the, the sound walks would, would be. And maybe even having more of a newsy climate change environmental story mm -hmm. tie-in. But pitching that to you just, to me, didn't make okay. that much sense. Uh -huh. yeah. So, okay. I thought about that. Okay, thank you so much, Bob. Thank you. Um, thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Bob. Um, if anybody has any questions for Bob, this would be a good time. Yes. Um, and you are? Hello, I'm Suzanne Pico. Oh, hi, Suzanne. Intern yeah, with yeah. American Radio Works. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was wondering what would be the next step for either of these two ladies if you liked their their ideas and how long would it take to get something like that going and mm -hmm. you know would you be actively thinking about it or I don't uh, know. the first idea I can immediately imagine her coming to me with a brand new piece of music that's just come out and say did you hear there there is um, you know a, uh, a 12 string lute on it and uh, this is really cool. They're using this because no one has. Can I turn around a piece? But you'd have to do it quick. You know, I think that that that's one of the issues with this. Uh, to make it timely uh, is is really sort of key because you got to have something to hang your, hang your hat on. And and if it's you know a song that's six months old, for us on the music side, um, we're less interested. So that would be one thing I'd say I'd say to her. Uh, on the second one, I think we need to figure out 
its place. And so if she comes back to me with, you know, it could be a hand-drawn little web design or it could be some, uh, some really specific thing where she says, you know, on the, on the page where you have interviews and profiles, it could live right on this spot and it could be a segment called this and it, you know, just something really specific. I think the more specific you get, uh, the better. You try to place your idea into, into the bigger picture. And that's often what gets missing because the bigger picture in your head of what you love is often what comes first and you, you don't take the listener into, into the account that they should, which is what it's all about. It's all about the person on the other end. It's not about you and, and where it fits and how you get it to that person. So would she have to come kind of push you, email you several times? Yeah, you know, and, and look, here's the, here's the biggest wonderful thing you should know about NPR, which is out of sight, out of mind. And, and you can't bug people enough that I could love an idea and a week later forget that it even happened because there are 12 other things in front of me. And there's nothing wrong with uh, saying, um, where are we at? What can I do? You know, it's really important. Uh, if you get strung along, not everybody's going to say to you, I, your idea's not going to work. Thank you. Goodbye. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to be at that end of the conversation and say that. So uh, the per person, that person, me, or whoever you talk to, should be honest enough to say this isn't going to work and shouldn't string you along, but the truth be told, it, it happens. So you, there is that fine line between uh, bugging and taking the hint. Uh, so I, I don't know how to best say that better than I've said it, I guess. Yeah. Good. Um, we're going to move on to the next producing team of Davia and Nikki. We're going to switch over to the end. And um, originally, this panel had another panelist, um, a fellow named Andrew Kaspari from the BBC, who couldn't be here. So we're going to, Davia and Nikki are going to take three pitches. Um, and the first one is going to come from Zach Rosen. Uh, Zach lives in Detroit. He's been working at public radio station WDET, producing a show there called Detroit Today. He's also a member of a listening group called the Smitten Mittens. And he's, other Smitten Mittens here? Yay! And uh, he's contributed to a number of public radio programs, and he's got about five years of experience under his belt. So, Zach, meet the Kitchen Sisters. Hi. Hi. Nice I'm to, Nikki. Nice to meet both of you. Um, so, I'm a Detroiter, and there are so many statistics about Detroit that are working against us, and that make people think, what do we have to learn from Detroit? And not only... Do we have nothing to learn from Detroit, but let's just write it off as a city because the unemployment rate is the highest in the country. Um, you know, 25% of the people that live in the Motor City can't afford a car. 70% um, of the city's residents, 70% um, of the city's homes are single parent homes. So there are all these things. 10,000 people are leaving the city each year. So how can something good come from those terribly sad statistics. Well, um, there is a public school in Detroit called the Catherine Ferguson Academy where all of the students are pregnant and parent, pregnant or parenting uh, teen mothers. So um, though the general graduation rate of Detroit public schools is some, somewhere around maybe 40 percent, Catherine Ferguson graduates all, their, graduates all their students and all of them go to college. And uh, kind of one of the main reasons for this is because their teaching approach is, is much different than uh, your standard, 
you know, no child left behind. Um, because of all these people that are leaving the city each year, there are 27,000 vacant lots in the city. So what does that mean? Does that mean there are a bunch of abandoned buildings um, and crack houses? Yes, but that also means there's this new space to grow our own food. And Detroit is a food desert, you know, which means it's much easier to get to a liquor store than get to a shopping center with good produce. But what the Catherine Ferguson Academy is doing, and they're kind of at the forefront of this movement of urban agriculture, is they're teaching their students how to grow food. Um, they're teaching them how to take care of goats and chickens, and they do a, a really communal like barn raising. Um, they don't do that every year, because they don't build a new barn every year. But, you know, um, <laughs> there's this principal who's incredible. Her name's Asenith Andrews, and um, she, I was talking to her on the phone the other day, and she was just telling me how these girls, when they get uh, into the school, um, they talk about, oh, you know, I used to want to be a lawyer. I used to want to be a doctor. I used to want to be a teacher before I got pregnant or before I had my kid. And she's like, you had a kid. You didn't, you know, you didn't get your brain uh, knocked out of you. So she's kind of infusing them with this new hope that they don't have. She's kind of becoming the second mother to them. And she's graduating all these girls and teaching them this language of agriculture, which is so important um, to Detroit where the diabetes rate is so high. But, you know, slowly but surely, we're teaching these young women you know, how to, how to do it a new way. So, so the piece would be um, narrated by one of the students. Um, and when they get into school um, in ninth grade, they think, yeah, right, I'm not graduating. I'm here to kind of pass the day. But they do graduate. So I want to spend time with a, a senior that's going to graduate. Um, I'm thinking this might be good to start producing around uh, May, June, uh, yeah, April, May, June, um, around graduation time and kind of hear from this uh, community, which it, you know, we, don't, we don't hear from enough, um, and we don't hear their story enough. We just hear that 70% of Detroiters um, aren't married when they have kids. But let's kind of try to figure out what that means and who these people are. And uh, so that's kind of the idea. I don't yet have um, a girl to profile. I was talking to the principal, who's certainly part of the piece. She's going to talk to me a little bit more and talk to the school social worker um, and try to figure out a good, a good young woman for us to profile. But um, this young woman would be the center and the narrator um, with uh, other characters like Miss Andrews, the principal, Paul Wirtz, the science teacher. Um, and certainly uh, there would have to be more to it, but I think that's the, that's the template that I'm thinking of. <laughs> You've got a lot of issues there. That's, yeah. it's, it's, you're pitching to people who really care about all those I know. issues, which I, you've obviously researched <laughs> who you're talking to. Yeah. yeah, I think that's one of the key great things about this pitch is he's pitching to us, right? Hidden kitchens meet secret life of girls around the world. He's sucker punched us in a great way, you know, <laughs> which is so good. It's like if it's not this, it's that. Um, I love the heart of this story, the heart, you know, the what you care about matters to us. Um, we're usually in the role of pitching. It's unusual. People don't usually pitch to mm -hmm. us. I mean, we do these big series and they are on the shows, but for the most part, it's us in your role calling first the shows to try and convince them to take a series and then convincing them that each of our stories uh, is, you know, because we have to pitch every single time a Hidden Kitchen is on. They don't just, we don't just say, oh, we're doing Hidden Kitchens, and here they are, ladies and gentlemen. They, those, every single one of those is pitched to the show. So it's not like we're the great 
pitch. Just the, you're, you're one of the first people to pitch you're to us in this way choir. in life. So pitching to the choir. So um, that said, I, I, I think um, what, what's the secret part of this? If we're, if, let's say the series is called The Secret Life of Girls Around the World. What is so, what's utterly different or unknown? And maybe you don't know that yet. But if we're looking to, because on stories of unwed mothers, stories of pregnant teens, stories of gardens in uh, cities in urban places as yeah. part of renewal, it's not super known, but they are known somewhat. What's, keep, keep thinking out right. what, well, from what you've seen and what led you to this story? How did, um, well, I live a few blocks away and, um, all the stories pretty much that I do in Detroit have to do with um, kind of uh, looking at Detroit in a different way. How can we kind of redefine what we have and how can we, you know, not just think of it as beautiful but kind of get some meaning from this decay. And I, I was thinking the secret part was that there's the... Detroit has, you know, 500 urban gardens, which is maybe the fastest growing movement in the city, and this, uh, all these unwed mothers, and the se- what part of a secret could be that it, they're meeting at this intersection and kind of showing the rest of the world that they're not failures and that they are onto something that we're going to all need to soon start thinking about because food is getting way too expensive and access to it is, you know, becoming just as difficult. Um, the secret part, I don't know. We, don't, you know, I don't have the uh, the girl yet, but do you think, I think this it's worth would pursuing. be um, a better hidden kitchens or a better secret life of girls? What what do you, of those two? When you were thinking through this, could you see it going both ways, or did you ever think of it being a hidden kitchen? Um, I knew that it would some it would be something you'd be interested in because you had done hidden kitchens. I didn't think of it as a hidden kitchens per se. Um, so, because I was thinking when I I was reading your pitch before, I thought, you know, you're really leading with a lot of ideas and facts and background, and, and you have your issue, and I'm getting your issue, and I kept thinking as I read through the first paragraph, where's the girl? Mm-hmm. And you didn't lead with your girl, and um, the girls are what our series is about, right. and 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 sort of digging into that. And I know you don't know your character, which is always hard, but even taking that first sentence and sort of drawing a picture of the, I liked where you, um, in your written pitch, which is not fair because you didn't pitch that part, but her, the girl waking up to the cries of the baby in the morning, even, even that image was suddenly something that grabbed me. Oh, this is this girl's story and she's going to be my spirit guide and I yeah. might meet other people around her and all these other issues might, might come forth throughout, but right. you're not going to lead Right. Is he going to lead with his issues? This is what I asked myself. Is he going to lead with his issues, or is he going to lead with the girl? And mm-hmm. in terms of pitching, I would that would be one thought, just to kind, kind of reverse, kind of reverse yeah. that idea, and then come at me with the um, heavy info and mm-hmm. uh, about the statistics and the dire straits everyone's in, and um, how this is a hope. I mean, and also. Are, is somebody going to say that to me, or am I just going to know that at the end? I mean, what can you paint some scenes for me in how you'd see this? How will I find out those statistics? Sorry, you have 60 seconds. Oh, I'm sorry. How will we find out those statistics? Um, I guess uh, maybe the lead would be part of it, but certainly the science teacher is going to uh, illustrate a lot of this stuff. Why are we infusing this uh, 
farming into the curriculum because of this, this, and this. Um, the principal certainly. So, so I was thinking that, that the supporting characters would kind of bring the stats in and illustrate those, but the girl at the middle would be our heart of it and kind of show us why we care about these statistics. Um, so One thing I wonder if, depending on how long the piece would be, if it's more than one girl versus only one girl. I, I might, as a producer, go in thinking, I'm going to see if I can weave a few mm -hmm. stories together. Maybe it is just one, but I was, a lot yeah. rides on that when you're just saying only one. Yeah, I was, I was saying only one just because Morning Edition, I was thinking, doesn't um, allow us too much time to introduce all these characters. Tell so. us about it. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, so to, to be continued, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Really okay. nice pitch. The other thing, you know, the other thing with this series, like our other ones, we're going to open up a telephone line, and a lot of times, those are kind of those have been the pitches that we get uh, from the from a reporter, even or a scholar, or so this line when it's up and running, and we're also going to do it online, um, would be a great place for you to kind of tell that story in a really short, exciting way that then maybe is something we jump off of in, in our program, which we've done a lot in Hidden Kitchens and Lost and Found Sound. Great. Um, our next picture is Anna Boyko Wyrock. Wyrock. Uh, Anna's from Seattle, and she says that when she was a kid, she used to imitate Ira Glass at the dinner table. <laughs> oh. Uh, now she's an independent producer, and she's produced pieces for Morning Edition, Week in America, Studio 360, and the Radio Lab blog. So welcome, Anna and the Kitchen Sisters. Hello. It's very nice to meet you both. Um, I would like to introduce you to somebody who has really captured my heart and the heart of um, a friend of mine who also interviewed her. Her name's Haifa Hassan, and she's from Iraq. She's in her 70s, and she is now one of the few Iraqi refugees who has gotten a visa to come live in the United States after um, 2003. So Haifa Hassan was raised um, in a very religious Sunni family. She was covered from head to toe, and she was told whom to marry. Uh, when her husband died several years later, she was left with two daughters, and um, it's taboo in Iraqi society to be a single mother, but she decided to raise her daughters by herself anyways. When the U.S., during the first Gulf War, her first daughter, who is now an adult by this time, was killed by a U.S. missile that hit the top floor of her house. Mm -hmm. um, her second daughter, soon after, fell in love with an American man from the U.N. and decided to get engaged to him. Unfortunately, under Saddam at that time, professionals like her daughter um, couldn't leave the country and certainly couldn't get married to an American. So she was in quite a bind um, because she had to leave the country to marry this American, which there were many strikes against her to do that. And so what Haifa decided to do is she um, spent weeks basically bribing corrupt government officials and she ended up spending 10,000 US dollars, which I mean, imagine what that is for us now, but imagine what that was for her at the time, just so her daughter could leave the country so she could marry the man whom she loved, even though Haifa never had that chance herself. So um, now Haifa was alone in Iraq without her two daughters, without her husband. But what was, what's very interesting is that um, she says that the whole experience taught her so much about 
motherhood because she wasn't, she didn't feel alone, she wasn't devastated, but actually she was very happy. So would you mind playing the clip, please? In the climax of your sadness that uh, your daughter is leaving you, you are happy for her. I don't know, this mixture of motherhood is something, I don't know how it is. Mm. I cannot explain. And in the top of being very sad, as if taking my soul off my body when she left. But I was very happy because she was uh, finding, she's finding her happiness. Wow. So even though you yourself, inside, you, were, you were so sad for yourself, but you were so happy I for her. I was sad. I was like an orphan when she left me. I was like a little girl without parents. She was like my mother, she was like my husband. But still, I prefer her happiness. In the climax oh, of it. your sad... Yeah. So, um, then the U.S. invaded Iraq. And um, Haifa found herself one of the only Sunni people in a Shiite neighborhood, and she was subject to a great deal of sectarian violence. Men, armed men broke into her house, they stabbed her security guard in the back, and they raped her. The next day, she fled to Jordan. Fortunately, because her daughter had married this American man and had moved to New York, she was able to get one of the only visas for Iraqis to come to the U.S. She, she moved there rather hesitantly, and now she lives close to her daughter, and her daughter is seven-year-old in Queens. And she's, she's happy to live in peace, but she's still very traumatized. So I'm imagining this piece to be about five minutes and to be a very intimate look into their life. Uh, the, your thoughts on this, of course, sorry. Well, thank you for playing the tape. Because, yeah. you know, it's just so great to... I think if you can, if you've got any tape and you can you know, have a phrase like, I was an orphan when she left me, I think that's very helpful for the, um, you know, person that you're pitching to to hear. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful. Yeah. So, so I'd really like um, this piece to be a very intimate look into her life, as if you're going to her apartment and you're sitting down with her and you're having tea with her, um, like my friend and I did, to sort of bring um, these issues that we hear a lot about, you know, the war in Iraq, uh, into a very personal context and to feel like you've met somebody from there and to, to connect with them on a very personal level that she's a mother and she lost somebody. So our, I don't know if you're familiar with our style of producing, but we tend to use a lot of sound and have a lot of music and field recordings and a lot of elements that get woven together. And I, I think that that's how we're hearing this series how what, how do you hear this piece along with the, that feeling of intimacy like you sat down to tea with somebody and you knew them through that what are we going to hear what's this the shape of this piece um, I would like to include scenes of um, Haifa and her daughter and her grandson they spend a lot of time together so I imagine um, going to the beach with them or they're in the kitchen cooking together or they're making tea together or um, they're looking through photos of her daughter or her husband. They're, they spend a lot of time together and that's really um, the highlight of Haifa's day. So I would like scenes of them interacting. How do you see um, creating that sense of history and, and her, her lifetime? How would we experience that? Um, my first thought on that would be pictures of, you know, oh, this is, this is our house, this is where the missile hit and killed my first daughter. This was my husband. 
Um, this was my wedding um, when, you know, I, you know I didn't choose to marry this man. He was the local pediatrician and my parents chose. So to have um, photos be a vehicle into her life. Because she's sort of, she's, she's now remembering a lot of this. She's in this very safe place, but she's looking back a lot at what has happened to her. We've tried that photo thing a lot. It's, it's, oh, really? it's, it's hard. It's, it's really hard to um, do more than a bit of. Hmm. Um, when you interviewed her, how was she, when she was remembering, what did that sound like? Um, you know, is it, is it something you have to coax from her or? No, she basically speaks in anecdotes. She's really, she's a very good talker. You know, she'll tell you about um, the, the, um, pieces of sugar, like the big pieces of sugar that they bang over, they grind over the heads of newlyweds when they get married to symbolize a sweet marriage. And she'll tell you about the veil that they put over her as she was waiting in the back room of, um, yeah, she's, a, she's an excellent talker and storyteller. That's real, to me, that's really interesting because it plays into the other sort of um, themes of our series, those secret rituals and rites that hopefully, even though you're hearing the drama of this one woman's life, we would also be hearing about the secrets and, and sort of those coming of age and rites and rituals from the country. So I, I think if, in reading what we wanted, that would be an important thing to include in a pitch, some okay. of those anecdotes that would really play into um, what we're looking for to communicate in the series. I'm the one that pitches to Morning Edition with the show, so I do a lot of that. And for me, what I try and do, first of all, it makes me a nervous wreck. I don't know about the rest of you. I am in knots for days before it. I usually put it off a week or two or three or four and then piss off the show because why am I pitching so late? But what I, tr and oftentimes I think I'm holding back till we find a great title to the story, the birth of. Fritos, the Chili Queens of San Antonio, whatever, you know, um, freighter food, whatever the story, something, a little hook for them to have, and then a great lead, something so quick. I always think probably for most people, I don't know, Jane, if it's like this for you, Bob, it might be different. I figured the person I'm pitching to has to then pitch to somebody else to get it on their show. So I have to make it easy for them to pitch. And if I do something, yeah. And so, and everyone loves to tell a good story. They're not only pitching to a show, but they're going home and going to a dinner party and they want to be the life of the party and have a good story to tell. And so if you can give them that two-minute thing to repeat, suddenly they're a stakeholder in your piece. If you tell them a long story first... Like, for me, you, you didn't get me, even though the story's incredible, and I know it's meaningful and powerful and it's very moving, and there aren't many Iraqi women I've heard their story, but somehow I'm drifting a little bit going, now why are we going to pick your Iraqi story versus all the other people who will pitch us something about Iraq? Suddenly, it just happens to be me, you, I collect sugar. You just said that image of the sugar on over their heads to sweeten the marriage, and I'm in this woman's life. Uh -huh. You know, I see a scene that just emerged. I could hear this thing being painted. I think just reminiscing with somebody and going to tea with them and telling the story. Most radio, you're not going to get that on the air. You have to also. You have to if that's the nature of the piece. You have to have such beautiful miking, so intimate. It has to be so soulfully miked. 
if that one woman has to carry a whole show, so you've really got to think about the, the acoustics of your story as well. If you don't have a lot of scenes, if you can't, and if you're not saying, I'm in a re- I, can, I have access to this archive of Iraqi history and culture, and I can bring us into these scenes, which is, tends to be what we look for. And, and ideas for music and sound that might mm. help punctuate, and, and especially in non-narrative pieces, you really need that something that's going to drive the narrative, that's going to change the scene, to be thinking about those changes. And is it music? And we use a lot of music, so that would be, in listening to our stuff, you'd probably find that out and to think that through, what kinds of things might work. Um, Sorry to have to call time when we're getting such wonderful feedback, but thank you, Anna. Thank you. Next picture, I think I'm right about this, Laura Spiro. <coughs> Am I right? Yeah. Uh, Laura is uh, from New York. She's been producing on and off for about five years now. Her work has been on Marketplace and Weekend America. Hi. 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 Very nice to meet you. Um, nice to meet you, too. And I'm Laura. Um, so just... Uh, in the fall of 2002, I am, um, I'm going to use my notes here a little bit, even though I know I'm not really supposed to, but, um, that's <laughs> <laughs> so mean. Do you, do you, how about trying it without it first? Okay. Even if you blow it, what the hell? All right. Uh, so in the fall of 2002, I made my first trip to a rice farming village in rural Nepal, um, where I met a young woman named Bishnu and her older sister and her mother. Um, so this is a family of three women. The father was struck by lightning when the two girls were infants living in rural Nepal. And I have lived on and off with this family um, for periods ranging from two months to six, six months for about six years now. I've been going back there. Um, and this is hard without the notes. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we also collect so, struck by lightning stories, so, so you should know that we're hooked. Yes! <laughs> I'm if anyone else I'm has one of those, lead with the lightning. <laughs> Um, so in that time, um, my relationship with uh, all three women in particular, but um, specifically with Bishnu, has really evolved. We've spent a huge amount of time um, harvesting crops by hand, bringing them home, and talking about everything from uh, her role. She's sort of taken on a lot of the male roles in her household financially, socially, um, my my role in trying to kind of break into this place where I really arrived there as this young, very idealistic person with this um, wanting to kind of break beyond the facade of her life and become a part of this household in a very um, close-knit environment that is not that easy to... It's very easy to come and superficially show up. It's not that easy to really break inside. And she kind of had the opposite vision of being able to break out of this subsistence lifestyle and pursue a professional career against pretty impossible odds. Um, and since then, the, the story has evolved over six years. And we bought her first pair of jeans together in 2004. She had never seen a computer when I first went there. She'd never been to the capital of Nepal. Um, we bought her first pair of jeans together. She got an assistant nursing degree in 2006. She started working as a medical technician in a health program that I helped to start in her village in 2007. And this year, uh, in 2009, she's 
99% sure going to be coming to the U.S. to live with my family and go to college, which has kind of always been her dream. So this is really a story, I mean, the story is about Vishnu and her family, but it's really through the perspective of two girls kind of from opposite sides of the universe meeting each other and kind of leading one another towards some of their wildest aspirations. Um, I, I can now farm rice with a scythe in <laughs> rural Nepal, and that would have been pretty impossible without somebody like Bishnu who, and you know, I think she didn't really have anybody to be able to reflect some of her dreams back at her. She has an uneducated mother, um, single parent family in rural Nepal. Um, so the biggest challenge that I'm faced with this, and I know that it's missing from my pitch right now, it is whether to try to approach the arc of this story as a whole in kind of a six-year beginning to end or to extract segments of it um, and kind of capture moments along the way. And um, as far as sound, it's I think one of the strongest elements that this story has is I have, I've been recording there all six years. I have over 40 hours of thrashing, buffalo honking, <laughs> water collecting, yelling across the, you know, mountainside to the neighbors that live half a mile away, but you can still hear each other. Um, I have tons of that, and there's a huge amount of this story, I think, that comes across just in those sounds. And I've also been interviewing her. Um, I interviewed her extensively in 2004. Most of that material is in Nepali, although not all of it. Um, so I think that that would provide the foundation for the the sound, the content of the story, and I've been keeping journals there as well for the whole time. Um, so I would tell the story as a personal narrative because I'm definitely a character in the story. I'm not an objective observer. I'm not a reporter. I'm in the story. Um, it's her Can story, but it's through me. Can you kind of paint me. the, like, how does this piece open? Do you have, you haven't produced it yet, so you don't know your opening, but, but what's your opening? Do you know in your mind? My opening is sound. Um, is first creating a sense of place because there's so much rich sound from this place and so much of her life I think comes through in the sound of the rustling of the straw of something sizzling as it's dropped in over the pot and the fire the sound of kind of people talking and the evening chatter and it takes probably 10 seconds of that um, before you really have a strong sense of of a place. Um, I actually have produced a version of it. It was a longer format documentary about um, of this, and it, it started with me arriving there and us sort of trading off talking about our experiences and her describing her village. She has this great line. She says, um, I, think, I think this place has all the pieces of heaven, when that was the title of the documentary, was All the Pieces of Heaven. So um, how, how did you, uh, in your 30-minute piece and how you envision the shorter piece, how do you handle the language and the translation? And I, I'm curious, just because you know, you're, you're going to you see yourself as narrator, how is she represented? Who, who's translating her? Well, there's a couple ways of doing it. All of her interview material, we actually translated together. So I feel pretty confident that the translation represents what she has to say. Uh, when I did it before, I had somebody just speak her translation for her. You hear her, you hear a lot of her voice, and there are elements of it that are in English. So you feel like you know her. But her English is not that easy to understand. So for 
sake of clarity, uh, I had somebody else read her parts, but I speak Nepali, and there would I could produce it so that I'm kind of paraphrasing her without having to bring in an additional voice, and it would be clear that I'm representing what she's saying. I think either of those two things could work, depending on the feel of the piece, if, it's, if it would sound weird to bring in another person to, to speak English for her. I think what is making me hesitate is not you, but us just going, because we're still gestating this and haven't produced a stitch of it yet. And so I don't think we know if producers and reporters' voices are in it yet mm -hmm. or not. Probably they are because it's a collaboration and it's not all our work. But I, but as I'm listening, I'm going, uh, you know, I'm just going, what does this thing sound like? So it's in part, I think, maybe shows learn what their show is by what people pitch to them too. You suddenly go, oh, okay. Because I do like that idea of the two of you almost aspiring to change places. I was saying to Nikki last night, it's like the Patty Duke show or something <laughs> goes to Nepal, you know, but um, the, uh, <laughs> but I'm it's, so it's so tricky because it's, uh, because you have um, a foreign language and a translator and a narrator and six minutes <laughs> and all these, how many years now that you've been chronicling, it's, it's a lot and it's, and it's very word heavy. Um, how do we, how will we, what are the scenes that are going to create the, the, the heart, the, the feeling? Um, Maybe it's a lot of the writing that you've done, uh, the journals that go back and forth. I, I'm, I'm just... Well, there, sorry, um, okay. there are some very specific scenes. I do think that, I mean, I would have to tell them. I, it's hard to get around that, um, both because obviously it has to be in English and it requires words and it's my perspective on the situation. So I don't think there's any way around that. Um, I could choose from any number of scenes, one that just comes to mind immediately that's short that I can say quickly. Um, Last year, so this is now, you know, five years later, I, I go there every year and I brought a skirt for her. And the traditional Nepali dress is very much like Indian clothing with the trousers and the, you know, the long shirt. Um, and I gave her this skirt. And so she put on the skirt and then she went and she was like, wait, hold on. She ran inside and got this other kind of shirt that she had. And then she got a scarf and she put it on. She's like, take my picture, take my picture. And then she went and she brought out this pair of black stockings. And, and she goes, Laura, should I put these on for the picture? And I was like, sure, go ahead, put them on, <laughs> I don't care. And, and she puts them on, and she starts being so kind of careful, and she, like, she lifts up the edge of her skirt, and she looked at her legs, and these, I, I said, where did you get those? And she said, oh, this, Ma, my friend Maki, this Japanese girl that we both know, um, she gave them to me three years ago. I've been saving them for a special occasion. She put them on, and she's kind of looking at her leg, and it's, it's a very conservative culture. And she goes, look at these legs. I've never seen these legs before. And then she just like stood there while I took, you know, 15 pictures of her. <laughs> so, I mean, there, I, I can't even count how many moments there are like that. But that would be the kind of scene I think that would reflect the story that I would want to tell. I think, okay, could you send us the longer documentary? Could sure. we hear what you did? And then I can give you a copy. Yeah, that would be great. <coughs> I love that you've been going to Nepal so much, too, and just committing to scything rice. <laughs> We're big on rice as well. We've done two stories of rice. Yeah, well, the, if you want food stories, yeah. cooking stories, yeah. Um, Good.
a lot of life revolving around food there. So. Great. Thank, Thank you. you, Laura. Thank you very Thank much. You. I mean, we've never done this, but as I'm thinking about the pitching, I don't know, you get pitched to, like I was thinking if we, sometimes we have a great photograph and we know we're going to put it on the website. Would it open your mind more, if, like along with you know you're going to have a pitch if someone just sent you one great image that just like you had this great thing to look Anything at? Anything great helps. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Anything great, great yeah. Anything great is really good. Title, yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll like we'll, we'll run stuff that's like a, you know been on the television before. So it's, if it's a you know a film. That, that works, anything. But, but yeah. if that goes to the same point that, that you make about the title, which is that oftentimes you do have to take this to another level and another level and another level. And any time that you have something you can carry that's a nugget that will, someone will remember the title of, of the idea or the, or the photograph or something, that stuff helps. It really does. And, and I think it also helps. And, and, and if I could just for 30 seconds just say the last two pieces, these are great stories of people's lives, but you can't. You can't tell that person's story in five minutes or six minutes. So what you have to do is tell that person's story with a scene, with an idea that encapsulates what their story is. The story of the stocking is an amazing story, right? Uh, you know, and, and that's what you have to come. You have to take this not so much, I know a person, I know this amazing life of this person, but you have to take it all and find how to encapsulate it into a radio story. And, and when I get those pitches, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear that you've distilled it, not that mm -hmm. you're going to distill it, but that you have distilled it, and here's how I've distilled it, yeah. and here's how I'm going to tell it. Uh, speaking of distilling, we yeah. have uh, two more pitches to go, and so I'm going to uh, ask Jane to move over, and we'll invite up next Wayne Liebman, who's here in the front row. Uh, this is Wayne's first Third Coast Conference. He is Great. actually a doctor and a playwright. And he says he's come here this week because he wants to learn everything he can about radio because he wants to turn his literary work into radio pieces. So um, Wayne is going to pitch to Jane Feltis from This American Life. Hey, Wayne. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, Jane, this piece is called Erased. And uh, so you know I'm an anesthesiologist. So this is how I think of my job. Uh, let's pretend you're my patient. Okay. And you and I are in no. a rowboat. <laughs> and the rowboat is on top of Niagara Falls. And the way I think of my job is to get that rowboat across the river without going over the falls. I thought of my job that way until I got sick. And I got really sick, and I almost died. And I had emergency surgery and anesthesia. And when I came through all of that, I realized that I had my job completely wrong. My job was not to take you across the river. It's actually to push you over the falls. <laughs> so this piece is going to take you through my experience what I was like before as a doctor, and then what I learned, and how I'm different now, and what it's like to obliterate your consciousness, the piece of tape that you call you, uh, and it'll use sound and snippets of conversation and narration. And then uh, it, I want to conjure the experience of going under anesthesia as a kind of night sea journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and what happened for me was that uh, 
there's a, an, an old story, and this image arose for me at the time this, that haunted me ever since. Um, the story is that in the world before Hippocrates, um, doctors, uh, that's before doctors as we know them were born, there was a god of healing whose name was Aesculapius. And he lived in Epidaurus in Greece, and he had a, a temple there, a sanctuary. And people who were sick would be pilgrims, and they would come there, and they would stay for a day, and they would actually sleep in the temple. And um, because the god loved snakes, they would sleep among the snakes. And a priest would come, and he would give them a potion, and they would fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And when they were asleep, the god would come to them in a dream, and the dream would tell their healing. And the thing that occurred to me that just that's, that stayed with me is that modern anesthesia is reenacting this story, um, except that whereas you used to get a dream, now you get surgery. So um, the other thing that I, I was hoping you would have questions for me at this point. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't have to keep as on. As you're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. You can stop. If I'll stop. Yeah, I, I, if you feel like that is... Yeah. Um, I, cool. I mean, that's, that's kind of the overview. First, yeah. I want to say, um, Nina, it was really helpful to have the introduction in every case. Um, I think that's one of the first things that we ask each other on staff when we're pitching to each other is, who are they? What did they do? You know, Are they a writer? Are they a reporter? Have they ever done radio before? Um, so that's really helpful to know because in with, with your story, I'm, I'm assuming, is this going to be an essay? Yeah, okay. I, I think you can call it. That. So we'd yeah. want to know: Are you a writer? You know, have yeah. you have you written this sort of essay before? Um, and to know you're a playwright is very helpful. Um, the fact that you probably—I don't know—have you have you written any narrative nonfiction for radio before? Uh, not for radio. Okay, so that's something else we would consider: is like, how much will this person need our help? Like, do we have the resources? Do I have the time to take a first-time, you know, essayist for the radio through that whole process? Um, so that's important to know. Secondly, as, as Bob said, um, I think, you know, I heard your one-line pitch at the beginning. I was an anesthesiologist. Anesthetist? Anesthesiologist. 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 Um, and then I was anesthetized, and it changed my thinking about my, 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 my whole job, my life. But then I didn't hear how. Right. So, well, I thought you were going to ask me that. And I like the anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to tell me. So okay. that's the one line, and, right. and, and, and I'm curious. How? Okay. Well, what um, the, the, the thing I came away with um, the, as I look back on it was the, 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 there's nothing to be afraid of. When, when the tape gets erased, that experience, it's not like your memories get erased. It's you who mm -hmm. are, are getting erased. And they call it the little death. And it would have been the same uh, if it, uh, for me, it was a few hours. But what did you think before and then what did you think after? It's not what I think. It's how I listened. I, I listen differently to, to my patients. And what were they saying? Well, they often talk about their fear. And okay. So what I would, used to do was I would tell them how, uh, how really good I was at rowing the rowboat, and, you know, that mm -hmm. I had a row, rowboat merit badge, and, and you know, uh -huh. that uh -huh. the river wasn't really that far, and so it was pretty easy to get across. But now I, I listen to them, and I say, oh, you sound really scared. And you have every reason to be, or...? Um, <laughs> because I've been there, or, I mean... I, you know... I, I just it, want to know specifically how it's different now that you've it's gone It's different it. because I let them talk. And <laughs> I don't f rush in to fill the nothing that, that you know, with something, yeah. with, with explanations. Yeah. I think it's really important. We have all these 
moments in our life, these little moments of not being, uh, you know, that there, where there's nothing there and, and we begin to get afraid of it. Uh, and I think what the myth is saying, which is, is really great, that is that inside your fear there's some big thing. There's mm-hmm. some really important big thing and maybe the idea is not to run from it right. and not to, um, uh, you know, not to fight it, but to dwell, okay. to sleep with the snakes. Well, so here's a, if, if this were to, if you're pitching and we were going to try to make this work on the show, what I'd need to know is what happened. That's the main thing. So what happened? So that should be in your pitch. You know, did, 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 were you scared? Did, did you wake up going, oh my gosh, I've been so wrong about how this feels to people and I need to, you know, change my entire thinking about this and I need to hear what that was in the pitch. Um, Secondly, with something like this, and I produced a story recently that's very similar, and I don't know if you heard it, but I, I, it took me two years to get it on the show, and I was like recutting it for two years <laughs> <laughs> and repitching it and recutting it, but I have a, a fear of death that wakes me up in the middle of the night, and I ha- have occasionally talked to other people who have the same fear, and, I, and, and it's exactly the same. We all experience the exact same thing, um, but it was kind of in, in pitching it to other people, it's like... I've been anesthetized. It feels like getting drunk and passing out. And I think if you haven't been anesthetized, you imagine it probably feels like getting drunk and passing out because it does <laughs> to me. Um, I guess if you're afraid of it, then it then there's you know another element there. But but it's kind of like trying to describe a migraine to someone who's never had one. You know, you can imagine what it is, but it, on the radio, you know, getting that across is like you know I don't know if it if it is as scary, you know, on the radio. And that was my problem in my stories. I couldn't get the experience across. Well, there is no experience. Right. So why are we talking about it? Well, (laughs) (laughs) kind of, you know, because, you know, it's, it would have been the same if you'd have been asleep for two days or two months or two billion years. Mm -hmm. So why are you afraid of dying? It's nothing. I'm telling you, it took me two years to even find a show to put it on. I don't know. <laughs> and then it ended up being a two-minute piece that yeah. worked a little bit. But it's really hard, I think, for these things. When we're talking about, you know, a story that is about the absence of consciousness. You know, it's like what I'd really rather hear is how in your day-to-day job, like any anecdotes you have um, about, you know, how how different you, you were as a doctor after that and how, you know, any specific interactions you had with a patient or regrets from before you were anesthetized. Um, and then I think, you know, it would really take exactly the right theme. It would have to be like, um, you know, Freaky Friday or something, like something where you're, you know, taking the place of your patient or, you know. So... Um, so, yeah, that, that, would, that would be my main note, too, is that this is so specific that it would have to have the exact right theme for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any questions. Oh, one more thing. If yeah. it's an essay, you can just write the essay, too. Yeah, well, if it's you don't a sound just, essay. And, I mean, what are the sounds? Well, for example, at the beginning, I would tell the rowboat story, and you would begin to hear water, and... Here's something that's helpful to know. On our show, we'll, we'll help you do that a- you, then, after you write it. Right. Mm-hmm. Then you would then you would he- actually hear the, the the sound of the falls as he, as it got closer, and then in that moment when I say it's to take you over the falls, you would probably hear the the girls on the top of the roller coaster going down screaming. <laughs> as you, right? Yeah. And then it would stop, and mm-hmm. then it would it would pick up in the next piece. Okay. So you it. can if you if anyone's sending us an essay, you can just send us the essay, and it's and it's I mean if you. 
if you don't have experience writing an essay for radio, then it's totally fine to do it in the form of a pitch. But if you do have a experience writing an essay, we'll take the essay, too. Okay. So thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, Wayne. <laughs> Wayne. Wayne, there's this piece. It's different, really different than what you're saying, but it's, but it has some of those issues. Uh, Newbar Alexanian produced this peach piece for This American mm -hmm. Life. Is it called P Perfect Pitch? Perfect Pitch, I think. Something Perfect. like that. <laughs> it's a, he had um, tendinitis. Is that what you call? It? Anyway, tinnitus. tinnitus. You might it, you might want to listen to that piece. It just might open up ideas mm -hmm. for you about how you want to go inside. Yeah, just Good. it's very interior. Thank you. Our final pitcher is Glenn Wyant. Glenn, uh, Glenn is here from Tucson, Arizona. He's worked with sound for more than 20 years, but has less than five years as a radio producer. So he has a pretty unusual story idea for Hi, Glenn. No, I'm, I'm not afraid of death, but I'm very afraid of this. This is, this is, this is horrifying. This is nothing compared to like eternal no, this is death. nothingness. This is, okay. this is like in front of a whole group of people. So. Cool. It's cool. We're going to um, go like, have lunch after this and stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, my name is Glenn Wyant, and um, I'm a lot of different things. I'm not really sure how to um, uh, put myself into, into a box, but. I'm a sound sculptor, I'm a journalist, a educator, stay-at-home dad, baker, a bunch of different things. And um, one Hot. of the... Uh, <laughs> stay-at-home dad, baker. All right, I'm liking this pitch. Okay. And, and <laughs> one of the things that I um, did as a sound sculptor was I, I, I played the U.S.-Mexico border uh, with a cello bow and implements of mass percussion. Art Silverman actually aired a piece back in 2006 when I, when I, first, uh, when I first did it. Um, since then, in, over the last two years, there's been this steady progression of this, of this project um, from not knowing where it was going to go, an independent person um, playing the wall. And to go back in, in 2006, uh, after 9-11, there was a lot of rhetoric about uh, the U.S.-Mexico border and how we had to beef it up. And as someone living in Tucson who had come from New Jersey, I really didn't see the horrors that the rest of the country was seeing. Like my friends back east were seeing on the news all the time, we need to build walls and this horde of Mexicans are coming in, and I just wasn't seeing that. Um, and there was a group called the Minutemen that were coming down. They were getting a lot of national attention, and they would sit out in the desert with their binoculars and watch, you know. So what I decided to do is I thought I'd um, do something to sort of counteract that imagery and uh, create uh, a sound work. And so I went to uh, Nogales, Arizona, um, which is divided by a, a, a wall. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's a photograph. We've got, that's the CD, and there's a website and whatnot. Okay. Um, and I played it, and I went to see what was going to happen. Since this initial work came out, it's uh, taken on a global perspective. Um, it, people from all over the world have been downloading it. Um, I've done some sound installations. I went to Knoxville, Tennessee, worked with a, uh, um, a, 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 social, a uh, social worker who works with migrant farm workers. And she was giving kids cameras to take pictures of their daily life in the fields. And then we took this, the Anta project, we brought the wall to, the, to this gallery. We installed it as a sound installation. Um, and parents were telling their kids, even because it's through Head Start, and so they don't ask whether you're illegal or not illegal. It's just, you know, help. And parents and grandparents were telling stories about coming into America, and the sound of the wall some had actually come into uh, 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 Arizona through that area. One of the things that the, the big thing, the, the big concern for me, and I'm kind of stumbling along here, so I apologize, um, 
was the number of deaths. You don't hear about the number of people that are dying, but there's the Sonoran Desert, which goes through Arizona, goes into California a bit. And as this infrastructure was being put in, and, and uh, President Bush, who wrote me a nice letter, I have a copy of a letter from him. Mm-hmm. He thanks me for his for my kind gesture. I sent him a copy of the CD. Um, I'll, I'll mention that. <laughs> I, I, sent, I sent a copy to President Bush, um, Vincente Fox mm-hmm. from Mexico, and he wrote back, and he, he said uh, he appreciated the way the wall... Um, uh, is being transformed from something that's divisive into something that creates unity. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so... Uh, the story. The story, back to the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so there's this narrative of going down there, playing it, and then the deaths. Um, the, uh, the wall, people walk around it, and the more the, the wall is put in, the more infrastructure that goes in, the more chances people are taking to get around it. So what happens is people are being put into these corridors, almost mm-hmm. like death corridors. And as a resident of that area, um, it, and knowing people who work in hospitals and that sort of thing, the government will tell you that they're not really doing it, but I think there is actually something to it because they are purposely building infrastructure to stop people in the suburban and suburban areas, but going through a horrible, you know, a death, a death quarter, basically, a desert where 157 people, I think, died this past year. And coming from New Jersey, thinking of the numbers, you know, that'd be an atrocity that the rest of the, the, the country would be talking about. Okay. Um, so to get back to So what's the, the piece? So what's the piece? So, so it is, it, yeah, I know. I, so no, no, this is, it, like, this is important. It's like going all around my head. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a narrative of my personal journey from actually just having this idea, a, a, a sonic manifesto that mm-hmm. everything is an instrument, all things um, can be played, uh, every sound is valid, and to take an object of political significance, which was being used as a barrier that was being shown to the rest of the world as we're stopping this invasion, mm-hmm. transforming it into an instrument which could then promote unity. And then I have a just series of stories that have come over so the it, past two years. It, so, okay. Uh, I have so, my notes here. I could have read them. <laughs> no, let me. Uh, we'll we'll just start. Sorry. So, first of all, um, um, I don't know what you're talking about a lot of the time. I, know, I okay. don't know what playing the border means. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and I'm um, and 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 I don't agree with your manifesto. So that's for, okay. first and foremost. I think anytime you put a manifesto into a pitch, it's like you're going to turn off like a big because yeah. that's why it's a manifesto. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right. And if you're going to if you're teaching a college course, it's fine to have, but in a like a ten minute um, radio piece, like usually getting your manifesto across doesn't work. Manifesto's so right. um, yeah, just kind of okay. yeah. <laughs> I don't. All right. Um, uh, and then uh, I think also we don't, for my show, we don't usually do, I'm assuming this is like sound art, audio collage kind of thing. It's it not is, really the kind of story we ever do. What I, what I, didn't, what I don't think I explained, and mm-hmm. I apologize for that, is, mm-hmm. um, is this narrative of the individual making a statement that then goes on without any financial backing from any corporations, very little media exposure, to have a, net, a global audience. Um, I had a, a musician from Australia fly in who uh, is working with Kronos Quartet on another uh, fence piece. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a fence? See, this is the other. Like, okay. what is border? I don't. Playing the border. I'm too close a fence to it. piece. Yeah. You're very. It's very insidery. I know you probably have people you can talk to about this, and they understand exactly what you're talking about. But um, it's not. It, you know, it is really, it's like, seems really micro, it seems really insidery. I don't know who the character in this story is. I don't know at this point what the narrative arc is. I don't know what happened. I know that, y- I know that you played the border, and I know that there is a wall. Right. <laughs> no, you're right, right. And that people die. But I don't have a central character, which is really important for our show. And I, and I also need to know, you know, s- what happened, um, and it doesn't, it sounds like things are happening, but um, it's not like in a narrative arc. I, th- I think what, what, what happened was, if, it, if I mm-hmm. can I answer that question, mm-hmm. um, what happened was that the wall, first of all, it's been transformed. 
people now talk about the wall as an instrument. Mm -hmm. In Mexico, um, I was working with some artists, and we were people who um, everyone. For, well, it, okay, that's what I should. I've got all the stuff on media here. Uh, German radio SWR two. They mm -hmm. did they did a piece on it. Inspired a uh, a uh, an editorial on how America was walling itself in. Um, Activists in Knoxville, No, I understand Mexican people are talking about the wall, but people are not talking about the wall as an instrument. Yeah, they are. They are, but there's just a lot, few of them. Not a lot of <laughs> them, but a few of them are. A few of them. It's not a ton of people. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that's part of it. Do you have a sound? Yes, ever, I do. I would like to hear this All right. instrument. Um, or no, actually, maybe um, you'd like to hear this instrument. <laughs> it, it's it's in. I'm really for. I'm very excited to be here. It's in the it's in the gallery of more. I actually did a. Okay. There's a PowerPoint presentation. That details this okay. whole this whole elaborate thing, which I'm kind of blowing here, which is my death. No, my death is now fulfilled. I it's hope like, I'm helping um, a little. It was that. I hope. It, you know, it's all. It's, it's a one. It's a one-hour track. Um, it's been used. But do you hear the wall right at the beginning? <laughs> no, in the be all right. In the beginning, it's um, it's it's helicopters. It is water jugs left by migrants. It is fences, um, and it's all put together in one big piece. It's actually the Black Homeland Security hop helicopter, which I sampled as it was flying over. So, if you really want to get into the wall, you got to fast forward in about ten minutes or so, and get into that. Do we it's, have time? I don't know. Okay, if you can get fast forwarding. Okay. So, again, this is all, this is still sounding like a, a like sound art, like an yeah. audio installation, which again is not something we do on this American life. But not so, the narrative of actually doing this, this going from a nobody into still a nobody, but with a global, uh, you know, interest. Four four hundred hits a day. I've had like four hundred discs. Is, like the, is the story gigs that you, is the story that? See, I'm still confused about what the story is. The yeah. story that you have a audio project and that people are liking it? No, it's, it's, more, um, it's more a transformation of the symbolism of the wall, mm -hmm. um, talking about how an individual can actually take a political symbol, something that they want to, and transform it from its intent, which, mm -hmm. which the U.S. was actually, this wall, I have, I have, I have recordings of Sunt uh, workers building the wall who will tell you that it does not stop migration. People walk around it. Now, this kind of story, I would like to do. I mean, if it was, a, if you had a character and you had some, you know, somebody to interview about the death corridors, as you're yeah. saying, and if you had to, you know, if you do. could document that. See, that I might be interested mm -hmm. in because you have, a, you have, you know, something is happening. Right. Um, you have a possible character going through something, mm -hmm. um, um, and you know, all stories, if they're on the radio, are made out of sound, so we're okay with that. There's sound there. Tons of sound. And. Yeah. Um, and 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 it's surprising, I guess, if you have if there's some way you could back up your theory that it's you know on purpose well, that they're I, trying to. There's some activist groups like No More Deaths, mm -hmm. which are actually helping people. There's groups that put water jugs in the desert. Um, that all would that's, be that's that, all that would be something that we would entire thing. That'd um, be something that we would we would consider on the show. And then at the very end, we would play your fence music. Oh yeah, you don't you don't have to actually. You know, no, you know I'm better? just saying it's if you want to get into the story. No, the helicopter <laughs> flying. We had a helicopter buzzes for three minutes. Water patrol just sitting. Over us while we're playing the wall, just going around in circles, and how much did that cost, etc. Go on. Sorry. Okay, this this is um this is actually the wall in the gallows, um, which is in the PowerPoint presentation. What I have are you doing with it? Um, are it is like being um it's being bowed. Okay. And um, but it's it's layered. There's multiple layers in there. Section of the wall coming in. Uh, there are fences. Um, there are also um. Uh, um, barbed wire. What it used to be was there used to be barbed, barbed wire fences. I'm playing barbed wire fences with a with, bow. With a cello bow, right? That would, and chopsticks. Yeah. And then that 
the barbed wire fences, I went back two years later with uh, John Rose from Australia. I'm going on. I'm just, what the heck? Whatever. Right? Um, okay. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. It's not going um, <laughs> to From Australia, we went, we went down there, and it's turned out that they've put these huge columns in. And we met this guy named Levi in the desert. Mm-hmm. Levi is from the Sun Corporation. He walks around with this parasol over his head, this multicolored parasol, inspecting the fence, all right? And so while we're playing it, we're noticing it has these elegant, wonderful ringing tones. Levi it tells us that these columns are supposed to be full of concrete. Well, they're not because we can, we can hit them, mm-hmm. right? And Levi gets very upset, like, no, no, they're full of concrete. So there's some kind of a scandal going on where they're not filling the columns with concrete. Somebody's either there, something's going on. And it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, but anyway, yeah, that I'm that's okay. I don't know if this is a pitch anymore. <laughs> I'm be on my soapbox, but I came a long way to get on my soapbox. So Thank you. I appreciate it. about you guys. These were amazing experiences. Um, yeah. These were excellent producers, yeah. excellent pitchers. Let's give everybody a round of applause. We also, we have a tradition in the pitch panel. We have a colleague named Karen Michelle, who many of you know. She's a longtime producer. She is going to give us a very quick summary of the session. Karen Michelle. In her own words. Up close and personal. Well, not so personal and not so close. Um, It's really wonderful to hear other people go through this process. So to try and summarize as quickly as possible, the gist of this is you all have to lie down with snakes and just get over it and have your dream but be able to express the dream as succinctly as possible and make sure that the people you're pitching to share your dream. If you're pitching your dream to people who don't dream at all, but instead stay awake all the time, it's the wrong show. Um, each show has its own sonic signature. Certainly these, these shows do, these producers do, um, as do you as producers. So um, make your point about what your signature is that matches theirs so that there's no graphological lack of interface. Um, Because uh, you are one of the pitchers, they are receiving your pitch, and then they have to go on to another pitch. Being a pithy pitcher is a good idea. Uh, Having a title, having a slug, is generally kind of what we call it, is really handy because it makes your job easier for their job to give, to do their job to somebody else who has to do their job too. And other onions of the day. Um, So, uh, oh yeah. And assume people won't like what you have to say. That's important, too. That as, as much as you think what you have to say, your story is really juicy, if you can't extract the nectar from the juice and make it appealing to people who hate pomegranates, you're in trouble. Um, and I think about just about one of the last couple of things is uh, nag, if you must, but take the hint so that when somebody is turned off by the nagging, it's time to go away so you don't have to pressure them into being mean. Uh, It's the compassionate pitching thing that um, you want to, uh, part of the compassion that you have toward the person you're pitching to is to get to the point as fast as possible so they don't have to go, and and what? And, And then what happened? If somebody is going to lift their skirt and put on their their stockings, tell them that first. The whole story, we don't need it until they ask for the whole story. 
Um, so that's getting to the juice fast. Today, since we're talking about radio, how sound will drive your story. Um, as, as we know, you know, radio is driven by sound, plot, narrative, character, all this kind of stuff. But all those elements that tell stories are driven by sound. We are sonic fiends, so feed the fiendish. Um, so I think that is definitely where it goes. Uh, if you don't know your piece, they won't know your piece, and you're not ready to, to lie down with the snakes. Mm -hmm.